RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Pro Athlete Supplementation. Check them out at pas-nutrition.co.uk for all your supplementation needs. And don't forget that subscribers to the Rugby Renegade program get a 40% discount on retail prices. Yes, we are back with episode 42 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview strength and conditioning coach legend Dan John. Uh, you know, the word kind of guru gets batted around a lot and he'd probably hate me to use it, but he is, you know, one of those proper, proper gurus. He, he explains everything so well, simplifies everything. Uh, and he's been around so long that he's seen it and done it all himself. So um, this should be a really interesting podcast to listen to. Give it a good listen and let us know what you think. Hi, Dan. Welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Great to have you on. Why don't we start by you just telling us a little bit about your background, how you got into strength and conditioning and uh, some of the teams and sports and athletes you've worked with. Well, I got into strength and conditioning probably before most of your people were born. I started looking at weights in uh, 1965 and uh, kind of I kind of fell in love with lifting weights right away. It was kind of a... It was just like one of those things that I, it, it, it's still to this day. I mean, uh, when you first lift, uh, if you keep coming back, you get stronger and stronger and stronger. And pretty soon good things start to happen to you with your body. And uh, it's been that simple in my life. It's like, you know, it's so it's such a straight line for me, the way I think about strength training. Uh, my first real formal training would have probably been 70 Um with a very good program. And then through the seventies, I got, uh, you know, I did the basic stuff. And then in about 1975, I met, uh, Dick Notmeyer and he taught me the Olympic lifts and that really changed my career. I started coaching in 79 and I haven't stopped since. And I work now at St. Mary's over there in Twickenham, uh, in the summer. And then, uh, I also teach at uh, Columbia college here in the United States, uh, religious studies. And then, uh, and then I, then I really, the, the joke is I'm a mendicant strength coach. I just kind of float from place to place to place now. I work with a lot of American uh, professional baseball. I used to work with basketball, uh, American football, and, of course, track and field, which is, you know, kind of my thing. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, been around a long time. I have 14 books. Uh, I write articles for all kinds of different people, all kinds of different magazines and, and, and online magazines. and. I like what I do. Oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't realize you're doing the St. Mary stuff. Um, that's, that's interesting. How long have you oh, been yeah. doing that? Uh, this has been my third year. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. So um, I joked that they when they when they put when they set the job up, it, it was pretty specific to me. I always, you know, joke about they were looking for a blue-eyed guy with the degrees in religious studies and weights, and you know, <laughs> who throws the discus. Uh, and, and has grandchildren. Uh, <laughs> it seemed a little bit specific to me. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Now, um, like, I, I love um, some of the analogies you use uh, around training, and one of them is that trading's like Mexican food. Uh, could you uh, just kind of explain that for us, and then kind of maybe suggest how you think rugby players or team sport athletes should, you know, how well, they should train, or what what Mexican they should eat, so to speak? Well, it's a hard thing to get used to, but it's a, it's a okay. Let's first. It's from an American comedian by the name of Jim Gaffigan. And he worked in this Mexican food place in a place called Indiana, which uh, I don't know how to explain Indiana. Indiana is a pretty, well, we call it here in the United States, white bread. You know, it's uh, it's um, it's pretty vanilla state, you know, uh, fairly, uh, I mean, it's just, it's fine. But, <laughs> and uh, so they had a Mexican restaurant there. And the joke was, you know, the woman would ask, what's a tortilla? meat, beans, and veggies on a tortilla. Okay. What's a tostada? Meat, beans, cheese, tortilla on a tostada. Oh, what's an enchilada? Meat, beans, cheese, veggies on a tostada. And, and, of course, the joke is on a tortilla. The joke is Mexican food's basically all the same five ingredients. No matter what you order, you're going to get the same thing. So when I coach athletes, we always call it Mexican food, you know. 
uh, you know, get an athlete and they'll say, you know, or, or worse, a parent, well, my son is special. And I go, oh, I have a special program for him. Push, pull, hinge, squat, loaded carries. <laughs> oh, what about his cousin? He's special too. Oh, for him, push, pull, hinge, squat, loaded carries. Uh, what about discus throwers? Oh, I, I have specific for them is push, pull, hinge, squat, loaded. It's all the same. I mean, everybody tries to make, you know, I have this interesting little graph I'm working on. I invented it. You know, of course, if you've ever seen my graphs, you know, they're all terrible. Uh, but there's this uh, knowledge of strength and conditioning is this flat line right in the middle, and it doesn't move up at all. And then it says 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, the 2000s, the 210s. And then it says acceptance of strength and conditioning. And it starts in the 1940s at, at absolute zero. And then it just goes up at a 45 degree angle. And the two lines cross at about 1975 with Arnold's The Educational Bodybuilder. So before that time, it wasn't accepted at all by the by the public weightlifting strength training right and then magically there was this crossover point in the mid 70s with aerobic dance and all those different things and nautilus and arnold schwarzenegger and you know the incredible hulk here in the america that tv show and, and maybe even some of the early uh, you know gladiator movies you know and all of a sudden it became accepted and since then it's, you know, it's more and more and more, except the actual knowledge and strength and conditioning hasn't changed probably since, you know, Tom DeLorme and Watkins and those guys back in the 1940s changed the way we use the words reps and sets. There's nothing new. I mean, you can say, oh, well, you don't understand, Dan, we're using G GPS court. Yeah, okay, you found out with GPS that uh, your athletes run around a lot in the game and only intensely a little bit, right? Yeah, how did you know that? We knew that from the 1950s. There's nothing new under the sun. At least that's what I believe, Jamie. If you want to disagree with me, that's fine, even though I'm right. But you can disagree. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, so, so in that regard, you said push, pull, hinge, squat, loaded, carry. Um, obviously, everyone needs to do that. But you know, to what extent or what exercise you might use might be different. How how would you approach that with a with a rugby player or a team sport athlete? Well, the first thing is, you know, I mean, the first question is, usually, do they even know how to use tension? And so for me, that's why I'm a big fan of planks. It's interesting because I see the farmer walk and the goblet squat as moving planks. But uh, I have planks I teach for the push. I have hinge planks. I have uh, pull planks. And I use planks, plank, 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 because most people, when they first come to me, don't understand how how to use tension in the weight room. So, you know, you'll watch the young kid bench pressing and their legs are all, it's like an octopus's legs. So the legs are going everywhere. The feet don't stay on the ground. They kick in the air. Their hips move here. Their hips move there. They squiggle underneath the bar. Well, I mean, it might work on that one rep, but that's not tension. Tension is full body. Everything's locked and loaded. You know, you, you've, You've spiraled every joint that can spiral. You squeeze in everything you can squeeze in, and then you, you drive that lift up. That's tension. If they don't understand tension, I don't care who the athlete is. I don't care what their, uh, their vita, their resume, or whatever is. If they don't understand tension, that's where we begin. Because you've got to learn to master tension. So it's not only to get stronger, but it's also to be safer in the weight room. Without tension, you know, if you're squatting 400 kilos and someone pops a balloon and you twist your head around to go look at it, you're in deep trouble. You know, once you twist that head around and relax the shoulders, you can do that. Man, that whole, that whole chain is about to break down. You're in deep trouble. We have got to get you. The, we've got to spot you and save your life probably. Most people don't understand tension. From there, most people don't understand strength. And I have a program called Easy Strength, and I get more pushback from Easy Strength than anything I've ever done in my life. Basically, you do the same lifts for about 40 days. Uh, if you want to lift five days a week, lift five days a week. If you want to lift three, that's great. It'll just take you know more more weeks to do it. But the idea is, you come in the gym and you do the same lifts. Uh, you keep the total number of reps under 10, 
and you just, you know, three sets of three, whatever it is, five sets of two, two sets of five, it doesn't matter. And you come in and you get the reps. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, move to the next exercises. Maybe five total exercises at most. They're really probably only three actual lifting movements. Uh, and you just try to get as strong as you can. And the pushback I get is people then raise their hands and will say, well, what about agility? What about, and all these uh, Y words will show up, you know, flexibility, mobility, agility, you know, you know, it just keeps coming. What about cardio here? Well, do you want to get strong? To get strong, dedicate two months to getting strong. Then let's talk about all these other qualities. Um, so I'm a big believer that I don't care who you are. We need to first teach attention and then teach the discipline to get strong enough so that you get that wonderful hormonal cascade that big weights can give to you. You know, I always see, you know, you're, you guys use kilos, so I'll just go with kilos. You go into the gym and you see some guy doing endless sets of curls, you know, with 15 kilos and wondering why he's never very big. Well, if you squat 300 kilos, I can almost guarantee you're going to have some size on you. You can curl 15 until your eyes bleed, and it probably have very little impact on your body. But one deadlift with 275, or one squat with 300, one clean with 180 is going to be a thousand times better than all that nonsense, what you call muscle spinning, of all that spinning that you're doing in the weight room. And I got to tell you, frankly, that's it. Right there, those two things, those are the, those are in the, in the cliche of big rocks, medium rocks, little rocks, and sand. Those are the two big rocks, teaching tension and teaching people to get stronger. Keep coming back in the gym. Get the time under the bar. Practice the movements so that pretty soon the load is big enough, the reps and the load and the sets combined to, to make your body have to respond, have to accommodate, have to change because of it. And most people skip those two steps. From there, I generally start doing what I call anti-rotation work. That would be uh, one-arm overhead presses. That would be one-arm rows, with, especially with the TRX. Uh, that would be any kind of work like with stadium steps or hurdling. Uh, that's when I would bring in the big bags. Uh, okay, so I have a bag that weighs 40 kilos, and I wrap my arms around it, and I walk around with it. A bear hug carries. Are you, are you following here, Dan? Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, from there, like the the one handed carries, like the suitcase carry. Um, at, if the athlete, if we're still, you know, if we're still need more of that athlete, and I have enough time. Okay, asterisk. We got to come back to the word time. Okay. Um, then I would then I would teach something like the kettlebell swing, and maybe down the line the Olympic lifts. Uh, now on time. If you give me eight years, I'm going to teach you all the Olympic lifts, all the power lifts, all the kettlebell stuff. We're going to have really deep nutritional talks. We're going to have, uh, we're going to experiment with all kinds of recovery things from saunas to cold. We're going to keep trying to figure out what makes you work the best. Um, I mean, we're going to worry about um, fasting. We're going to worry about tweaking protein. We're going to do all that stuff. If you give me eight weeks, uh, we're probably going to teach you tension and the fundamental movements. If you give me eight days, I'll teach you tension. If you give me eight hours, I'll give you a nice overview of everything and say good luck to you. You know, and that's the biggest issue I think we have as strength coaches is, you know, I, I'll look at these programs and I'll see that there's some of these, especially in your field in rugby. I mean, these guys have in a year, they do 32, 40 different exercises. Well, how can you master 40 exercises? You know, at the, at the, at the first peak of my discus throwing career, I only did two lifts, the snatch and the clean and jerk. That was it. You know, Dan, what are you doing today? Snatching and clean and jerking. Ah, I'm going to change it up tomorrow. I'm going to clean and jerk and snatch. Well, you get pretty darn strong if that's all you do. Uh, I mean, I certainly knew how to do, <clears throat> pardon me, I certainly knew how to do all the other lifts, but really, 
the biggest mistake I see in most people's training is that they just do so much, they never have a chance for tr true mastery. Uh, are you following along there? Yeah, I, mastery was the word I was going to use there when you said, you know, haven't taken the time to master. I think that's something we, you know, we, we don't really take. We try and try and train everything either simultaneously or in phases, which then means we're doing a lot of changing and not focusing on mastering those those basic lifts. Um, but th there's loads of things kind of come out of that that I want to touch on. So I'm trying to make notes as well so we can come back to these things. But sure. you, you touched on uh, loaded carries, and I know you're a big proponent of them. Um, and that's might be something that the listeners maybe aren't as au fait with. So just sort of explain the sort of results you've got with them and how you use them with your athletes. Well, sure. I mean, how about my own personal results? The best years I ever had as an athlete in my entire career, I was age 47, 48, and 49. I hope you follow that. My best throws as a discus thrower were at age 47 and 48. And what happened to me is I was kind of oddly fortunate I broke my left wrist really badly, uh, Olympic lifting. Uh, it's a good story, but I won't waste your time with it. I, I broke it into a, a lot of pieces. And so I, I was told I'd never be able to lift, uh, lift again. So I started, I mean, I just went all in on loaded carries. But the problem was I had a broken wrist. So I couldn't do anything as simple as farmer walk yet. So uh, I, we put together about a 40-kilo bag. And I started carrying the bag. And I noticed as I carried the bag, my body had to provide like an inner tube. I had to squeeze my body out. And I call this anaconda strain. Well, you know, because it's like, you know, like you're choking out, like an anaconda chokes you out. You squeeze yourself. Well, what I started to notice almost immediately is my discus, my finish was better in the discus. Well, that's interesting. And then pretty soon I started experimenting with wearing uh, loaded backpacks. And then pretty soon I started experimenting with dragging sleds. So pretty soon, uh, as you can see where this is heading, is I would carry a heavy bag with a backpack dragging a sled. And all of a sudden I noticed my discus started going farther. So what a loaded carry is, is the carry family is, that would be the farmer walks. Most people know the farmer walks. That's weights in both hands and you just walk. Um, there's others, you know, that there's the deadlift carry. That's not as good. Uh, there's the one handed carry family. That'd be the suitcase carries. That's where I have a weight instead of a farmer walk weight in two hands. I have a weight in one hand at a time. There's waiter walks where I have the weight over my head, like a waiter carrying something to your table. Uh, those are all great. And then from there we go to the loaded carries, which you add. And honestly, I've changed on this. I'm starting to think that 15 at most 20 kilos is what you want in those backpacks. Okay. That's, it's really easy to overdo the backpack. Uh, since we're doing the farmer walk, the backpack is just pulling you upright. So we would go, we would start off. If you don't mind, you would, should start off with the, the, the farmer walk there. There's your base and you can, <laughs> If all you did was farmer walk, that would be pretty good, okay? From there, you do the one-arm carries. Let's just say the suitcase carry and the waiter walk. Once you kind of master those, throw on a backpack and do the farmer walk. Throw on the backpack, suitcase carry, waiter walk. You're following. Uh, then take the backpack off, add the sled, do the farmer walk with the sled, which, by the way, feels like discus throwing. And then the suitcase carry and the way to walk, and then throw them all together, which is what we call juggernauts from the Marvel comic book here. Um, that's where you have either farmer walks or the heavy bag with a backpack dragging the sled. I, that's not one. I mean, yeah, I guess you could do that one work in one workout. I don't know, maybe once a month. That'd be kind of a good by itself day. That'd be a hard. That'd be a hard day, but very informative. But generally, I tell people to pick one or two variations and either go for time or distance in your workout. We have found that the Fibonacci numbers are best for a farmer or for loaded carries. That's one, two, three, five, or eight. So we do have a workout called the Great Eight, where you take, oh, four to eight different uh, uh, movements and you go down and back with each movement and then. 
after you do the movement, you, you change equipment, go down and back, change equipment, go down and back, change equipment, go down. Are you following? Yep, yeah. Um, now, how you're someone's going to ask how far, and that just depends. Uh, here, here we probably have about 50 meters down and 50 meters back, and that's fine. If you have 20 to work with, 20 meters, that's fine. Just go heavier or just make loops or whatever. But one of the great keys, Jamie, to to doing the loaded carry family is trying to net. So it's opposite of the weight room. You never want to repeat a workout. You, you really want to be fresh and different every time. Once you get through all that, you've mastered all the way up to the juggernauts. Then we play with this exercise. That's when you do something with a traditional barbell or kettlebell, something as simple as this. You do a squat or a hinge movement, and then you literally throw the weight and sprint away. That's step one. Step two would be like overhead squat, front squat, deadlift. And then in, this time when you throw the weight, you sprint away with a sled. And that's about the top of the food chain of the loaded carry family. So the farmer walk is your foundation, your base. You might even want to say the heavy bag carry foundation or base exercises. If you can't, if you can't do those very well, gosh, don't move up. And then you do the one arm stuff. And then you add the backpack, you get good at that, you add the sled, then you combine, and then you start playing around with the combining the squat hinge with the sprint or sled. Now, awesome. There's some great example sessions there. Um, so uh, you kind of mentioned a bit about, you know, getting bigger or, you know, hypertrophy for athletes. And you've got a great book called Mass Made Simple. Um, I, right. Don't don't give away all your secrets, but how, how do you approach you know, increase in muscle mass for athletes because not everyone, but at times, especially in contact sports, you know, they need that kind of armor building. Well, so, and I'm glad you used the word armor building. Uh, that's, that's what I think too. Uh, there's two, there's two things. First, mass building to get larger at hypertrophy. There's very few sports that actually need it. American football, I would say, especially rugby league and rugby union, Sevens? This, would seven need hypertrophy? Not not especially. I mean, it depends on the individual, but not, not especially. So you can see, outside of guys wanting to look good on the beach to pick up women, <laughs> hypertrophy is a very narrow part of athletic training. But the problem is, most people's image of weight training is hypertrophy. And this is where we run into real problems as strength coaches. Because when we're coaching we're, co we're trying to get, the, I'm trying to get the athlete to learn tension and get stronger and more explosive. So that the shot, the discus, they'll swim faster, they'll jump high, you know, and yet you'll see the kid over there doing curls and tricep extensions, right? Mm -hmm. Now there's nothing wrong with curls and tricep extensions, but if you're a high jumper, it's actually probably going to hurt you because that extra mass is going to cut into that whole thing called physics. Are you, are you following me? Yeah. Now, that's, so that's there's your preamble. If you want to build mass, it's got to be very focused, and that's all you can think about. So I like mass in about a six-week period, mass building in about six weeks. You can probably sneak it into seven, uh, but you're going to have some issues. If, well, eight, nine, ten, that's, you're, you're not going to have the intensity. I believe that there's basically a few things you need to do to build mass for most people. Uh, first, uh, and it's, I keep trying to figure out ways around this because it's not perfect, but high rep squatting. High rep squatting has been proved time and time again by lots and lots of people to be one of the, probably the premier way to build mass. And in my Mass Made Simple program on the last day, we expect you to squat your body weight for 50 straight reps. Um, those last 20 reps, they take minutes. I mean, this set of 50, it takes a long time. Your time under tension is extraordinary. So number one, you've got to commit to squatting. The second thing is, uh, I hope you understand the term when I use it, um, but if people, if you go to my website, danjohn.net, and you type in complexes, I've got a bunch of examples of what I consider a complex. Uh, 
It's when you take a bar and you do it, let's, for example, a set of eight. So you would do eight deadlifts, eight cleans, eight front squats, eight presses, which is going to hold the weight down. Put it to your back, eight squats, eight good mornings, throw it to the ground, you're done. So the t- again, the time under tension is through the roof on complexes. So and I think so I think that you should squat last in these workouts. And the thing before squatting would be the complexes. And there is a need for some targeted upper body work. And to be honest, this is the one of the few times I think the bench press actually is a very good uh, exercise. If you train like this, you'll probably only have two workouts a week. Now, on Mass Made Simple, I work it out to there are weeks you have three, but that's because um, <laughs> that's because the week is seven days, which isn't perfect for my training program. If the week, so I'll talk to God about training that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, when you're training Mass with me, I expect a hard workout, a full day of rest, and then what we call a, like a tonic workout where you just kind of come back in and you do some light work just to undo all the damage from that heavy day. After the tonic day, boom, big, heavy, hard day again, rest day, that tonic day, boom, heavy, hard day, rest, tonic. If you're doing uh, seven weeks on the program, you might do something like Monday is a hard day, Thursday is a hard day, and then you just figure out the rest of the week to recover. Most people, when they say they're gaining mass, I look at their programs and they're in the weight room damn too long. Just They're just dinking around all day. But there's some other things that help with building mass. First, uh, will, will peanut butter and jelly sandwiches translate to where you live? Yes, yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll yeah, be, I, be jam, really, but they'll, they'll get it, they'll get it. <laughs> so I tell my athletes that they should keep a backpack with them on a mass building program with a loaf of bread, a jar of peanut butter, and a jar of jelly, or jam, <laughs> and every couple hours you eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Now, I couldn't believe, if you had talked to me 40 years ago and said, you're going to be recommending peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I'd have slapped you across the face. and I'd say, no way. But for gaining mass, you need easily, now, you could also, now listen, 40 years ago I'd have said, you should always carry around a dozen hard-boiled eggs. Well, here's the thing. You ain't going to eat You're not going to do it. You're not going to eat hard-boiled eggs every few hours. You're just not. You're not I, you know why I know it? Because I did it. And it's really hard. Uh, some people say you can get by with protein shakes, but the problem with protein shakes have their own little set of issues. Uh, I have no issue. I mean, I, protein shakes are fine, uh, but so that would be the second thing, is you really have to eat a lot of calories. The next thing is that you also need to be in recovery mode all the time. When you're not in the weight room on a mass program, you're recovering. Um, Dick Notmeyer told me a very simple thing years ago. When you're on a mass building program, always try to keep a hoodie or a sweatshirt on you. And so you never get cold when you're trying to bulk up. And I thought, that's crazy. He also said, you got to take a nap every day, and you got to get nine to twelve hours of sleep every night. I'm like, God, I mean, you know, because when you're trying to build mass, you you don't want to be having your body have competing concepts. And then the last one is you have to tweak around a few things. And this is the part that's why I think you should read the book. But for example, I have a week where I want you to try creatine. Now I remember when you Brits were telling us Americans how. Creatine was the answer to all questions. And slap that still. But there are people who respond to creatine and there are people who don't. So I have you test it. And one of the weeks I have you test creatine. And if it's something that really makes a difference for you, great. There's another week where I have you drink a protein shake right before you get to bed. Go to bed. And another week where I have you drink a protein shake first thing in the morning. And then the, the high end, of course. I'll, I'll be honest with you. The best, the best mass gain thing I've ever seen is this. Very simply, you drink half a protein shake right before you go to bed. Set the alarm for about four hours and have it right next to you. Wake up just for a moment, long enough to drain the rest of that protein shake. 
go back to sleep, and right when you wake up, drink another full protein shake. So you're drinking two protein shakes, half, half, full. Does that make sense? Yep. And that is, that's the one, that's the nutritional tweak that I've had the best feedback from. But you know, it's, it's up to you and how you, how you make that work. But it's basically hard, hard, hard work and then eat. So that's the secret to mass building. But you can't be doing it doing cardiovascular conditioning and you can't do it in season. You know, that's the problem. Uh, for American football, it's already too late now. It's May. It's too, well, you might be able to get one more bulking period in now in American football. Our season starts in August. You could probably sneak it in. Yeah, maybe now. While we're talking right now, uh, it's sneak it up on May, June. You probably could sneak one more in. But even then, I think I think bulking up that close to a season might have some other issues. Uh, do you understand that? Uh, yeah. You don't bulk up too close to a season. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, there are positions I'm sure that it wouldn't matter. But if you have any, if you have a lot of technical things to do with your body, throwing on 20 or 30, uh, 10, 15 kilos kind of throws you off for a few months, weeks anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, if you're if you're one of those guys that you know they string the wire between two buildings and they they they're high you know high wire act, <laughs> you don't want to put on 15 kilos just before you do that. You want to probably wait on that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, some some great points there, and I I agree. I think often when players like. You know they they've decided they need to put on size. They they tend to add bits in, and and it's it's the the opposite of that. Really, they need to train hard and recover, and you know adapt. It's it's the old thing. You know you don't grow in the gym. It's it's the nutrition and recovery outside, isn't it? And it really has to be an off season commitment. You know it has to be something that's deep in the and it is. I mean, and you're I'm asking you to train hard two days a week in the off season. But most people want to do something every day in the off season, and it just gets in the way of mass building. Yeah. And it, again, this is why coaching is so hard. It's you're, I feel like you're constantly going in the opposite direction. Uh, your athletes, your athletes want to work really hard once the season starts, but honestly, it's too late by then. Uh, yeah. Do you follow? Yeah. Everyone's trying to. They want to, you know, smoke dope and hang it on the beaches all off season and <laughs> chase girls, and that's great. Got nothing wrong with that. And then when the season comes around two weeks ahead of time, they want to get in the best shape of their life. Well, uh, you, you 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 can't work that way. You got You got to have. It's it's almost opposite. So you know, watch what most people do, and they do the opposite. You should be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Great advice. Now you you've touched on like the importance of consistency, um, and and how, how do you approach it? How do you help athletes, you know, improve their consistency? Oh, that's well. We're, let's let's slide in a slightly different direction. So, what I tell my athletes is, it's real simple. I mean, do my best to. It's in my book now. Let me summarize the best I can. So, anything that's not part of your goal. Any decision matrix you have to make that's not part of your goal, um, do you want a cheese sandwich or do you want a bologna sandwich? The answers are yes, no. We call those shark habits. One bite and they're gone. And I try to get my athletes to never let things build up in their decision processes. So you, you cannot let a bunch of unimportant things – okay, that's not right. They might, they are important. Like I always use the example of a wedding. Someone invites me to a wedding. I answer, yes, I'm going, no, I'm not, immediately. And then I go buy them a present online instantly. So it's out of my head. So it's it's an important thing for this couple to get married. And that's great. I'm behind it 100%. But I want that clutter out of my head. You follow? Yeah. So if you have, if you have athletes or students, I tell them to look at their education. Now this I actually think this. As shark habits, if you get assigned a paper, do the paper as soon as you possibly can. Don't wait until the night before. Get it out of your head. 
if the teacher has you read something, sit, don't leave class. Read it right then in class. Don't if you have a an hour break after class, do that assignment right then, right there. Get it out of your skull. Um, unimportant things in life, or when you should gas up or not, or what vehicle you should have, or all these things that just when you get a bill, pay it, send it in. When you get an email, answer it. When you get a phone call, say hello. Are you going to be there tonight? Yes, no. Just get all that stuff out of your head. Are you with me then? Yeah, yeah definitely. Okay. But things that are important, I tell them you should make pirate maps. This comes from Pat Flynn. And a pirate map is this. If you go to St. John's Island, you find the white coconut tree, you take seven paces to the west, and you dig down, and there's, there's the buried treasure. You need to have, as an athlete, a daily pirate map. So, for example, let me give you mine real quick, okay? So, and the reason I know it, because it's, I have it taped to my computer, and I have it taped to a couple walls, including my gym. All right. My day starts the night before. One. So, number one is this. Uh, honor my sleep ritual, which means about an hour before I go to bed, I take my supplements, I write my to-do list for the next day. You see where all this is heading, right? Uh, I try to calm down as best as I can. I try to watch something. If I'm going to watch TV, it has to be funny, okay? It, you know, it can't be <laughs> murder and death, you know? Uh, when I wake up in the morning, two, I wake up and I'm grateful for something. Uh, the reason you want to be grateful for something, if you're not grateful, you can't think of anything to be grateful for. That tells you that you didn't, you're, you're recovering, you're behind in recovery. So, uh, one of the interesting thing too, Jaden, just my own case, I don't use alarm clocks. I set the coffee <clears throat> a half an hour before I think I need to be up. So I wake up literally to the smell of coffee. When I smell coffee, my brain goes, do, 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 do. It's time to wake up, Danny. And I wake up, okay? And then I try to be grateful for something. Um, I meditate for one minute every day on something that's an app called One Moment Med Meditation. It's very inexpensive. And every day, I meditate for a minute. Now, I also have other meditation programs that go for 15, 30, and 45 minutes. Uh, by the way, when I go, when I meditate for 45 minutes, it sort of looks like I'm napping because that's what I'm doing. Uh, and then in the, okay, so sleep ritual, wake up and be grateful, one minute meditation. Uh, nutritionally, my goal is to eat 10 different, actually it's eight, but I always tell myself it's 10. My goal is to eat 10 different vegetables every day. So when I'm making a meal, I'm searching. Now, I didn't say 10 servings, by the way. God, you, know, you wouldn't have time to do anything else, man. But uh, I try to eat 10 different vegetables every day, right? So that's, that's my goal. So when I go out to breakfast, I tend to get the vegetarian omelet. I tend to get a salad with a lot of vegetables. I tend to get the vegetable soup. Uh, some of your listeners may have ever had dinner with me. Very often, I'll order two bowls of soup because if I like the soup, I'll eat another bowl. And it looks weird at first, and the waiter thinks you're crazy, except, you know, I'm almost 61, and I'm still stronger, and, you know, I can throw really far still. And it's like, and people say, how do you do it? I go, I ordered two bowls of vegetable soup. Uh, <laughs> and then the final thing on that little list is very simple. Uh, it says uh, that I'll do one rucking workout per week. Uh, rucking that's loaded it's a backpack, about a 15-kilo backpack, and I go for about, oh, I'd probably go for an hour walk, okay, with, with a loaded backpack. Mm -hmm. um, jogging breaks me apart, so it, this is like running. Uh, I do two hypertrophy workouts a week. I do one fully tonic workout a week where I just do mobility work. It's called original strength. And then I train. Oh, let me just look at the – hold on just a second. I know I'm skipping something. I don't want to. Oh, what an idiot. And I, I do easy strength. I forgot my own program. So, <laughs> so basically, about three or four or five days a week, I do Tim Anderson's original strength, 
which is very basic uh, mobility movements based on crawling and rolling. I do easy strength. And then I do that. Uh, if you don't mind linking my 30-30 workouts, uh, just just type in Dan John 30 slash 30, and you'll get two articles on those workouts. Plus, it, and it'll have the template for what I do every day. Yeah, of course. What I do with my athletes is I sit them down, and I and I insist that they have a pirate map. And so, what's your pirate map? What, what what's your sleep ritual? What do you want to even have time to yourself? What are you going to do? I, I did this talk the other day to uh, in America. It's called high school. Uh, it's up to about age students about age thirteen to seventeen. Uh, what would you call that? Uh, it, Jamie? Uh, high school, I guess, or secondary school, maybe. <laughs> well, in England, is it is it is it secondary school? Yeah. Okay, because university is adults, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, some in the Catholic, those some places they call them colleges, or is that just Ireland? Uh, not okay. sure. Not sure. Oh, okay. Um. So I was giving this talk to the to this 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 high school. And I, I think I just forgot what I was about to say. What was I about to say? About pirate maps? Yeah, I'm talking uh, about pirate maps. <laughs> I'm sure it was a brilliant point. <laughs> um, but it'll come back to me in just a second. Um, oh, well, you know, and I was trying to, I'm trying to tell them the importance of pirate maps. And it's hard because when you first think about something like this, but if you want to be a, a doctor... I can put together a pirate map for you. You know, I'm serious. You know, yeah. uh, you're going to need sleep. You're going to need, <laughs> you're going to need to worry about nutrition. You're going to need to worry about some time alone every day. And you're going to have to put in time every day at basic study. Well, so what I would suggest for my athlete, this decluttering process uh, for your rugby players, would you agree they need a, good, a sleep ritual? Yes? Yeah. Do they need to... Uh, eat vegetables and protein. Yes. Do they need to lift and train their system? Oh, I, I knew what I was going to tell you. So when I was in college, my coach, Ralph Mon told me that the secret to throwing the discus far is lifting weights three days a week, throwing the discus four days a week for the next eight years. So I did the math on this, Jamie, and I realized that Coach Mon said the secret to throwing the discus far is 1,000 644 throwing sessions. That's a lot of throwing, man. Throwing sessions. Yeah. So, you know, you throw between 20 and 100 throws in a session. That's a lot of throws. And yet most people think that, you know, it's just like you magically, you know, kind of Harry Potter it with uh, Nangare Wendelosa. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you throw the discus fly. So to me, I try to get my athletes, and I work with them. You need about five. You probably in rugby would need up to eight because it's a lot more complex than discus throwing. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Um, so you might need up to eight things, and it's a daily kind of thing. Every day they have to worry about the sleep ritual. Every day they have to work about making sure water is their primary liquid, protein, veggies. Uh, they're going to have to have some kind of uh, strength component, and they're always going to have to have some kind of technical component. Now, I didn't, you would not want to do something like this where you say, I want you to practice uh, 27 scrums every day, because that's not correct. It has to be a little bit open-ended. But the idea is, if you stick to that pirate map as an athlete, and every athlete on the team sticks to the pirate map, you don't have to worry very much downstream about you being pretty good. You're going to be good. I, I tell trainers this, you know, people who work with normal normal population. If your client slept nine hours every day, ate protein and veggies at every meal, only drank water, and exercised three days a week with you, oh, and then go, went for walks every morning, how good, of a, how good would they be in two years? Well, universally, all their dreams would come true. Hmm. All of them. But it's that two years part that gets people. Yeah. <laughs> so is it was that good? I yeah so, definitely yeah. So for me, it's a little 
the way I think, see things a little different. So we're shark habits, anything that's not goal. And then we pirate map what we want, who we want to be when we grow up. Yeah. Now, I remember reading a, an article about Steve Jobs, I think it was, and saying how he wore the same clothes every day. So he's not he's not worried about that. He can, you know, use all that energy to focus on, you know, building his business and things like that. So it's, it's a really interesting point how you, you kind of get rid of those distractions and focus on the things that over the long run will, you know, add up to, well, you know, big results. You know, I write two or three books a year. And people ask me, how do you write two or three books a year? And then I'll, in fact, if you look at the picture, uh, I think, do you have a picture of me up in the corner? Yep. Somewhere? Yep. You see that shirt? Yep. Yeah, I have 16 pairs of that shirt. <laughs> the exact same shirt. That's not a joke, right? Yeah, you're the Steve Jobs of strength shirt. and conditioning. <laughs> well, people say, Dan, how do you write two or three books a year? And I always respond first. I own, and I, I tug the shirt and I say, I own 16 of these shirts. And they go, well, so how do you, do you have a writing? No, I have 16 of these shirts. Uh, I have, I already have din dinner laid out for tonight. Uh, I'm here in Utah, so I'm ahead of you. I already know exactly what I'm cooking for dinner, and I've already chopped the vegetables for the dinner tonight. Now, I'm not going to cook it for another two, two and a half hours, but it's already sitting out there. So when I'm talking to you, I'm 100% with you right now. I'm not anyplace else right now. Um, it's all done. Uh, I get a phone call, I answer it, and I deal with it. It's out of my head, and it stays out of my head. So that allows me to be able to write and do some other things a lot better. Yeah, no, great advice there, great advice. Now, this is a question uh, we ask all the guests on the podcast, and it's, uh, what do you think is the biggest mistake athletes make when it comes to strength and conditioning? Hypertrophy. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we already kind of touched on it a bit, but yeah. <laughs> say it enough. So there's a phrase, in religious studies, we have a phrase called steno-intensive symbols. Uh, a steno symbol is a concept that only has one meaning. Uh, the example I'm sitting, I always use this, I'm sitting at my desk right now. So you and me are on a beach, okay? We're in Cancun, we're on a beach, and this really, really attractive girl walks past, and I whisper to you, she is so desk. You'll go, I'm sorry? She's desk. And you'll actually not understand what I just said because desk means desk, right? Here in the States, we have a word called bad. Now, the word bad can mean, the word bad can mean good or bad, depending on how you use it in a sentence. You follow? Yeah. So, so bad is a tensive symbol. It depends on how you use it. Well, okay, all fine and dandy and good. Well, when I say strength training to most people, they have a steno symbol, and that means bodybuilding. Yeah. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. Very few athletes, almost none. Well, you can get, if you want to be huge, do the power lifts and the Olympic lifts. If every athlete you had snatched 135K, cleaned 100 and, 170, 175K, benched 200, squatted 250, and deadlifted 300, would they all be pretty good sized? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they wouldn't need curls and tricep extensions. You follow? Yeah. The number one problem is when we talk about lifting, most people here, you know, females, I never, I never ever program ab work or flexibility work because I know they'll do it. And for males, I never program bench press, curls, triceps, because I know they'll do it without me even saying so. Yeah. If if they just vomited on the floor, I'll turn my back and the boys will be doing curls. <laughs> so hypertrophy. Yeah. <laughs> You, it's it's a very common <laughs> common answer to that question. Uh, now uh, you touched on you know kind of ways through loaded carries like um, you know going into sprints. I think you've written about is is that a variation of your Litvinov sprints that you've spoken about? I just want to yes. touch on kind of uh, ways you um, you know you might suggest doing conditioning for for rugby players where it's it's not just running. There's you know physical element to the game as well. Oh, I think for rugby, see. I 
I started that Lipinoff family to help a specific military problem. But what I quickly learned was two funny things. First, I threw the discus farther doing Litvinovs. Wow. And remember, if the discus goes farther, if the shot put goes farther, if you jump higher, you jump longer, you're right. So the mo so so we started training, I started training throwers with these. And then with American football, I, I if I could go back now, we would strength train every football practice with the Litvinov family. We would be walking around carrying, we have in America, we have like, uh, they're called tackling dummies. They weigh about, well, they weigh about 40 kilos. They can get bigger. God, they can get much bigger. But, you know, 40, 50 kilos. I would have a, a circuit of athletes doing those bear hug carries with those big bags. And then the, then a practice, you know, a technical practice, a technical practice, a technical practice. And the next part would be, doing goblet squats followed by sprints or something else followed by sprints or sled pulls as conditioning and technical, technical area. Uh, I think the bulk of the strength and conditioning I can do for um, American football and rugby would be great to do on the field of play during practice. I, I got to tell you, those bear hug carries and those lip and and lip sleds, they're game changers, man game-changing movements yeah and you've also written a, a lot about hill sprints how, how have you used those with your athletes well i love hill sprints but what's the problem with hill sprints Jerry? need a hill you know <laughs> from england right yeah yeah i tell you english education's pretty good exactly if you don't <laughs> have a hill <laughs> so i live in a place called utah we had the uh, where i live isn't far from where we had the 2002 winter olympics so it's pretty easy for me to find hills yeah okay if you don't have hills do sleds uh here's an interesting exercise for you i don't know how you're for for training the guys if you got issues with knees at all um do farmer walks backwards with sleds or backwards up hills okay yeah. that look that those that little horseshoe muscle around the knees Within about 10 paces, you'll start screaming. Uh, we have this one little workout we do. Well, remember the grade eight I, re I referenced earlier? Yeah. So I'm holding, okay, so I'm holding at arm's length uh, a handle, and the handle is connected to a sled. So go 50 meters, walking backwards, and it doesn't have to be heavy. It doesn't have to be heavy. So you go 50 meters, you stop, and you do that a total of eight times backward sled pulls oh and the thing is it just with all it is it's just all in your quads and then maybe some upper back stuff but you'll be you'll be vomitous in how i don't know what is it i guess it's the lactic acid or whatever but you can keep going that's the problem and the nice thing is that whole area around your knees gets not only built up but it's you, you don't have any of the problems with that thing called patella tracking. You know, the leg extension is a good exercise, but it makes you track too much on the, on, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, after, it's a good exercise, but if you do it too much, it can actually be bad for the knees. You don't have that issue with these backward sled pulls. And you know, that'd be something to throw into your rugby training if you have knee issues. Yeah. Uh, that's my answer for knee issues is that. And my answer for shoulder injuries is to teach your athletes how to tumble, how to do shoulder rolls, how to do backward rolls, how to do cartwheels. Because once you learn how to fall, the bulkier injuries disappear in the shoulder area. Yeah, no, some, some great advice there with some, some common injuries in rugby. Uh, now, this is a, another question we, we ask all the guests on the podcast. Uh, what advice would you give to an upcoming strength coach? Run! Go find something good to do. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Let me tell you. Okay. Three, let me tell you three quick things. Okay. And the thing I see most young guys, uh, Jamie, how old are you? Uh, 33. 33. <laughs> Alexander the Great conquered the known world. Jesus saved humanity. And what have you done today? Okay. I was, that's, <laughs> that's my standard age 33 joke. Um, so one of the things you probably notice it yourself is that 
young strength coaches tend to grab onto only one branch of the tree. And they hold on to that branch as tight as they can. So they're the kettlebell guy. They're the Olympic lift guy. They're the power lift guy. So if I am a athlete in a, in a wheelchair, you recommend the snatch and clean and jerk. If I have one arm, it's bench press, squat, and deadlift. If, what I, the first thing you need to do as a young strength coach is make sure you know the basics, the basics of body weight, Olympic lifting, power lifting, yes, kettlebells, yes, dumbbells, yes, TRX. So you, okay, know the basics of almost every tool in the weight room, and even machines. And that's that might take you one day, and Olympic lifts might take you a couple of months, but it's worth it. You got to know at some level. You have got to understand nutrition. You're not a nutritionist, but you got to be able to talk to your athletes when they ask questions, and they always ask questions about nutrition. You got to have you got to have some understanding of recovery. And the, the final thing on this on this base is it would be nice. I always tell my young anybody who asks me advice who's young. I think as a child. And where does I mean 13, 14, 15, whatever, you should play an individual sport, play a team sport, and somehow speak before a crowd of your peers. Um, you know, that could either be in church, it could be in debate, it could be in a play. You know, you guys have that guy Shakespeare. Is he still alive? <laughs> he hasn't done anything in a long time. I was just wondering if he's alive. <laughs> if you're if you're in a play or you have to sing in a choir. Uh, and what one of the things that happens with a lot of young strength coaches is all they know is rugby. And what you need to do is rugby is great, but go spend time with the track and field coaches, the, the athletic coaches, because those guys will tell you things and they'll kind of laugh at some of the stuff you do because you do too much. And if you're a track and field coach and you sit down with the rugby guy, you might realize things about your sport you just don't know you follow yeah and and then the second layer the second layer is you got to kind of figure out the second layer is then would you figure out the why so layer one is just you got to know the stuff layer two is the why you know that's the connecting the dots kind of thing you know um but the real one is the third layer and i call it what works if you want to make it, you've got to find what works and be disciplined enough to stick with what works. Uh, if I've had any success as a coach or an athlete, I've had this great ability to – I experiment more than uh, almost anybody I know. But when I find something that works, I wrap my arms around it. We put it up on the walls. We remind each other about it daily, hourly. This is uh, In America, there's a phrase – the girl who brought you to the you know, dance with the girl who brought you. Okay. It's you always dance with the girl who brought you to the dance. So for me, uh, Olympic lifts, kettlebells and loaded carries are in every program I have. Having said that, if you don't know the Olympic lifts, we regress it slightly. If you can't do this kettlebell movement, we regress it. And then we regress, you know, loaded carries down. But those are the girls who brought me to the dance. I'm dancing with those guys. It makes sense to you? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, you touched on there with with track and field. Obviously, coaches they, you know, it's so easy for them to kind of see. Like you said, if you've done something and it increases your discus throw, then you know that works and you can stick with it. Whereas it's it's a bit more difficult in kind of team sports because you know you can yes. make brilliant results but not know it works. So it's really good to sort of work with those coaches and and see what what's worked. Um, and yeah, you know, just just great points there all around, really. Um, yeah. Uh, I want to ask a few more questions, and, and you mentioned kettlebells, and obviously you're a big proponent of them. So how how have you how have you used them, and how have you found them that you or how what sort of results have you have you found with them? I know I think you've said in the past you've had big uh, improvements on your your throwing for using them. My personal uh, story, yes, especially in the javelin throw. But what I like about kettlebells, and I've always liked about kettlebells, is it's very easy to bring them out to the field. So I used to have this pickup truck that I would load with a barbell and plates, and I would drive it out to practice and unpack it 
and then we would do like overhead squats or cleans or you know whatever you know on the field the nice thing about kettlebells is they're so much easier to bring out on the field to play so we'll do as throwers we'll we'll throw do some clean and press we'll do another drill do some snatches do another drill you know so that's the thing i like about kettlebells uh the most um originally i liked it better when there was only three sizes now there's a million i, I think it actually cut in to the value as a coach because now again the biggest problem you have a coach is that you always have too many choices and that's what kills you as a coach choice 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 i can do this i can do that i can do this i can do that and th- my job as a coach is to say, shut up this is what we're doing and that's it that's what decision make means decision to kill cut decide get it done move on um i like kettlebells uh, also uh well the swing and the snatch, the kettlebell swing and the kettlebell snatch are very interesting exercises to build up that ballistic hinge um, quickly, simply. Uh, you don't have to teach all the other stuff you have to do with the Olympic lifts like the wrist. and You don't have to teach the wrists and elbows as much, and you can really focus on the big boom. So that, that to me, was very valuable. Uh, learning the swing by itself was worth all the kettlebell stuff I went through. The swing by itself, yeah. Yeah. I just just uh sort of pick your brains about the snatch. Like obviously it's it's um quicker and easier to learn the swing and it's you know a good movement itself, but moving on to the snatch, how do you find um or how do you go about coaching the where the bell sort of flips over and you know so you're not having people oh, break their well, wrists first, and things like that? Well the biggest problem most people have is they have no concept of how to do the snatch. Uh, if you're banging your wrist, your concept is at fault, okay? So really, the, what I would recommend if that's what's happening, practice swings first and practice waiter walks. So you're working on the boom of the, of the swing, and then the waiter walk is how you catch it. But after you swing, there's that little tiny elbow push on the kettlebell snatch, little tiny where it kind of sort of changes directions. So big, hard swing, bam. And then I do a little tiny elbow, but here's the key to saving your wrists. You stab the bell to the ceiling. You don't let it flop over. You, you Okay. My hand is open right now. Like I'm stabbing, like a, I'm trying to choke and kill you by I'm stabbing your throat with my fingers. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm stabbing the ceiling. So, Swing, stab, swing, stab. And if you do it correctly, the bell naturally floats to exact and never hits your wrist. If it's hitting your wrist, you're doing too much elbow and wrist nonsense. It should be swing, stab, swing, stab. Uh, I'm doing an RKC there in London uh, in early June. Come by. If this doesn't make sense, folks, just come by and I'll teach you in a few minutes, okay? Cool. Thanks for that. Well, lastly, um, Dan, where can people learn more about you? You've, you've already mentioned danjohn.net. Is there anywhere else you're, you're writing articles at the moment? Well, all over. But danjohn.net is fine. Or, yeah. uh, Facebook is kind of dying uh, hard in about the last two months. Uh, but I'm Daniel John on Facebook. And then I also have a Dan John Strength Coach on Facebook. Um, but it's, it's, I'm watching that thing just, it's like, it's like a flower on a hot sunny day. It's just withering. Uh, but, uh, Instagram, uh, is DJ eight, four, one, two, three, but it really, I mean, just Dan at Dan. And if you want to email me, Dan at danjohn.net and uh, the, you, you, you know, I answer emails right back, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every time, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I take it, I take it the. Because answering emails is a shark habit, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> was my yes, yes? <laughs> yeah. You said, let's do it. And I said, yes. And boom, here we are. Okay. Yeah, yeah awesome. And, you know, thank you so much for that, Dan. Uh, really appreciate your time. And, yeah, tons of tons of great information for the for the listeners. Yeah. So really appreciate that. And all the best, everything. And, yeah, hopefully catch you in, in June when you're over in the UK. And, um, and all the best with everything. Well, thank you. I thought this was delightful. And if you want to have a follow-up anytime, I'm, 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 I think I'm easy to work with, okay? Oh, definitely. No, I'd, I'd love to do that. 
Yeah, so right. I feel like we'll probably talk for another hour, but <laughs> I'd love to. We'll talk soon though, okay? Yeah. Cheers, Dan. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. So there you go. Definitely uh, a very experienced coach. And uh, I'm sure you've got tons that you can, you know, literally apply to your trainer now. You know, those loaded carries, <laughs> something great to, to play with now over the off-season. Uh, so thank you, Dan, for your time. And, uh, you know, he sounds keen to come on again. So it'd be great to, to chat further. In the meantime, guys, please subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn or iTunes and give us a five-star review. And, of course, check us out at RugbyRenegade.com. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at RugbyRenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.